Welcome to Get to Gnosis, a podcast brought to you by the Gnosis Builders team. Get to Gnosis explores Web3 topics in a bite-sized way while showcasing the best of the Gnosis chain ecosystem. I'm your host, Chantelle Awamoyi, and I'm excited to bring you the latest insights, expert opinions, and discussions on all things blockchain. In this episode, we'll be diving into the world of blockchain payment protocols, exploring how they work, why we need them, their benefits and challenges, and their impact on the future of finance. Today, we're joined by a special guest from Request Finance, one of the leading blockchain payment protocols built natively on Gnosis Chain. Ivan is currently the content lead for Request Finance, the world's largest crypto payroll app. Request Finance serves over 2,000 companies and DAOs and has sent over $300 million in payments. So Ivan, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Thanks for having me. I'd like to play this little game of this or that and introduce some topics that are very relevant to payments, especially blockchain payments. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So, enterprise or individuals? Wow, that's that's a tricky one, Chantel. Um, I, I think it's kind of hard to separate enterprise from individuals, although a lot of people think of request finance as primarily a crypto crypt, uh, enterprise crypto payments solution. Um, but I think it's it's kind of intertwined, right? Because if you think about most of the payments you make in a given month or even today, I guarantee that 80 to 90% of those involve an enterprise at one end of the transaction. So if you bought groceries, that's a payment to an enterprise. If you got paid your salary recently, that's a payment from an enterprise. So I would say both. Um, and, and you kind of really need both sides of, uh, of both enterprises as well as individuals to really make a payments ecosystem work. That's very true. Like I was thinking about like everything I've bought recently and definitely like it's from me to a business. Oh, 100%. Question number two, payment streaming or normal payouts? That's another great question. Um, I think if I had it my way, the whole world would be streaming payments. So Superfluid is the payment streaming protocol that's probably the most uh, well-known. And it's also integrated into request finance. So you can pay an invoice using a payment stream powered by Superfluid inside request finance. Um, And I think it's an amazing technology for so many reasons, right? So if you think about payments today, it's all it's typically made in intervals um, that are determined by certain contract terms. Now, of course, for one-off payments, it doesn't make sense to do a stream. Um, so for instance, if you bought something online, like on e-commerce stores, then that's like streaming is kind of not really helpful there. But I think for most things like services, things like payroll, um, those things are actually better off being streamed, right? Just looking at the payday lending market in the U.S. alone, that's something to the order of like, uh, I'm mean, something like six billion, or depending on on which data source you use, can be like twenty billion dollars a year. And so, what that industry involves is because people get paid at um, let's say half every half a month or at the end of every month, there's an entire industry. Of that's evolved to charge incredibly high interest rates 
on giving advance loans to people um, who haven't gotten paid, right? And all of that could disappear entirely if you had payment streaming. But that's just on the payroll level. I think if you look at services, right? One of the things that a lot of companies or service companies struggle with is cash flow, right? Because their cash flow is lumpy, people could cancel, then their billing department has to chase down the pro rata payments that's outstanding. All of that could just go away if you have a pay-as-you-go model that's enabled by um, payment streams. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it was only when I got into kind of like, when I started learning more about Web3 and crypto that I even knew that payment streaming was a thing. Oh, yeah. I, I think that, that part of the reason you haven't heard of this outside prior to Web3 was also because it was practically impossible, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is one of the benefits of, of having crypto as programmable money because you can write all these programs that tell the money how to behave, right? And you couldn't really do that on traditional financial systems like banking rails. Um, and that kind of opens up a whole new, I guess, revenue model for a lot of uh, companies, even in the real world. So for example, if you think about bike sharing or those like ride, ride sharing, car sharing apps, right? So not ride hailing, but actually car sharing apps, you could actually have a billing system that's running on crypto payment streams where for every mile you drive or based on certain um, factors that go into a smart contract, you can basically pay as you go. Um, and, and that's going to transform not just um, the digital world, like like we mentioned, with like payments, um, enterprise payments, and so on and so forth, but also, for example, linking IoT systems to actually billing systems. So you could imagine, for instance, if you had an IoT, a network of IoT devices that charge, um, let's say, for example, based on, on access, right? You could have industrial systems uh, leasing models that are based on payment streams where okay if you use this robot arm for 24 hours or 16 hours or depending on how much intensity you use that robot arm that's how much you're going to be paying in real time so collection doesn't become an issue in this space people do say oh we're so early um but it really does feel like that like you said we couldn't program money before blockchains and now we can absolutely yeah, this leads nicely, very nicely, onto my final this or that. Fiat or crypto? <laughs> well, I think, you know, the answer is going to be crypto. Um, and I, but, I, but I kind of like to point out a little bit of a nuance there. Obviously, the answer for me is crypto. Um, but I think I want to push people in the space to think a little bit more about why that is. Because I, I, there's been a lot of innovations in the fiat space as well. Um, particularly around this thing called instant payment systems, or sometimes you hear them being called real-time payment systems. Um, what, and what they are, so for example, in Brazil, they call it PIX, P-I-X. Um, in the US, you've got something called FedNow. In Singapore, we've got something called PayNow. Um, China has their own version of it, and many other countries have innovations in real-time payment systems. In the UK, it's uh, faster payments. That's right. Um, and, and so you can pay to a mobile phone number, and the transfer is happens to uh, across different banks and it's instant and it's always free. Um, so I think that poses a challenge to people who are advocates of crypto payments, right? Because now you've got an interbank payment system that's fast, that's free, 
and that's also um, you know more or less uh, um, I guess accessible to anyone with a mobile phone, right? And a, and a bank account, of course. Um, so when we look at what the future of crypto payments is, we also have to look at this these forms of competition from traditional payment systems, right? Um, and I think that there are certain ways if you're building for payments in crypto that crypto can still compete against these alternatives. I mean, I think one of the important things to note is that you have to solve um, a lot of the UX issues as well as the scalability issues in crypto, and it kind of ties back a little bit to the origins of Gnosis Chain as, you know, with XDAI trying to facilitate cheaper payments. But I also think it's important to ride on the benefits of two aspects of crypto payments. One is that it's global. So a lot of these real-time payment systems are not global, right? They're national. So you might be able to use faster payments in the UK, but you can't extend those benefits to me in Singapore, right? You still have to use uh, correspondent banking rails or you know cross-border transfer systems that still are either quite costly or take a little bit more time. Um, so one is that it's global. And then the second thing is that it's programmable. Um, and that's something that even faster payments or these instant payment solutions in fiat cannot do, right? One of the things we talked about was streaming payments. The other thing that we didn't talk about was, for example, smart contract escrow um, and a whole host of other form of programmable payments that are just not possible or it's very costly to do with traditional payments, even though they are fast and free. So we've talked about how crypto payments can be more global. We've talked about how it can be better because it's more programmable. But I think the other thing we can also think about is also how it can actually provide better access. So Chantel, you sit in London and, and I sit in Singapore. Um, and that's very difficult for us to access each other's capital markets. It's very difficult for you. To, I mean, no, wait, it's impossible for you to connect your bank account in the UK like Santander to the stock exchange in Singapore and trade on the stock exchange here. And it's also impossible for me to do the same thing with the London Stock Exchange, right? I can't connect my bank account in Singapore to trade on the London Stock Exchange. And now we all know in DeFi that's ridiculous, right? If you want to trade on any exchange, you simply connect your wallet and you can access those capital markets, right? Whether it's a borrower or as a lender. Um, and today's capital markets are not global because of the systems that they run on. And I think if you bring those things on chain, you could create truly global capital markets um, and, and that, that has a lot of important implications for the real economy, right? And for the ability of DeFi-based financial services, like insurance, like fundraising, um, like debt markets, to really compete with traditional financial systems, which are most, much more costly and much more localized. Yeah, no, I I literally spoke to a project earlier this week that is trying to, you know, tokenize uh, different stock markets. So this is very on trend right now. But I think you've raised really good points. I think a lot of the time, especially when you're building in the Web3 space and you're building blockchain applications or blockchain protocols, you kind of turn a blind eye to what's happening in the traditional like technology space. And you're right, there is so much innovation and people are building things but I think that as the industry continues to grow and as people keep building and people um, keep using blockchains I think 
the use case for like for request and for companies like request just goes up and I think that really and truly request finance is like as a as a company is really kind of cementing its place as a key component for like the on-chain workforce and a lot of the time when I speak to projects and when when just when we talk to people that are building I think the number one question is okay but why do you need blockchain for this and I think that you have very eloquently put together why blockchain is like the right solution especially for things like cross-border payments and like you said when you're a fintech uh, in like the traditional finance space you have to bec- like become a member of these different cross-border payment groups like sepa or like swift and and that is a bit of a hassle whereas like with blockchain it's permissionless like you can just interact with these different markets like you said absolutely you know one of the things i always say is that blockchain or defi has the potential to deliver where what open finance promised but never delivered um and, and i mean that's the dream of open finance right or this yeah. discussion around open banking uh, yeah. in the in europe especially now i think europe has kind of made a lot of strides over the last decade in open banking but that's only in europe right it isn't truly global yeah. um but like i mentioned just now like you have, if you in defi you have a global standard that is interoperable that is composable and that is open for anyone to build on um and that's a huge advantage but the other thing is also i would like to encourage more builders to focus on real world applications i think that's the most challenging but also the most rewarding thing to do mm-hmm. um and i and i and unfortunately i don't think we do enough of that in in, in the space um it's really focusing on on real users right so not so much on speculating on meme coins and pepe tokens <laughs> but really kind of saying okay like who are the real users in the world that could benefit from crypto payments so for example at request finance some, some a lot of people ask us oh like what's what's the difference you know why can i just make a wallet to wallet transfer and for us it was really about solving the pain points of enterprises using crypto because okay if you're transacting to about 10 people a month maybe not such a big deal for you but one of our users like the sandbox makes hundreds of like payroll expense and invoice payments in crypto um it's a nightmare to make those payments manually um and then there's also like accounting and bookkeeping challenges um and all of those things are something are are things that we had to solve one by one to get to the point where we are today um and i so i think it's really important for more builders to kind of tackle the hard challenges that crypto can really really solve in the real world around payments around capital markets around lending and all of these things are I mean in and of themselves they're billion dollar industries right just to give you an example the global b2b cross border payments volume just b2b cross border payments volume in 2022 alone was somewhere between 156 or, or depending on what source you use over 160 trillion dollars right that is over 100 times the entire crypto market cap today that's just one use case of crypto right um and so i think it, the, the opportunities are really there and i think more builders need to focus on solving real problems right 
um, rather than kind of going for the speculative things, the the sexy, you know, meme coins and and thousand percent APYs, um, and and really focus on things that could add a lot of value to the real economy. We are in the middle of a bear market right now, so I think people are silently building. But yeah, it's true. All you see are these meme coins doing like three hundred and fifty thousand x. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> but I think there are people building these infrastructure solutions and and building to like to bridge the gap between real world assets. And I think that's the most exciting thing that will come out of this bear market. It's going to be all of those new projects that have and the existing ones as well, but <laughs> all of these projects that have kind of been iterating and like trying to close that gap and just try to give like legitimate um, reasons and legitimate like use cases for using like a blockchain um, solution. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's something, Chantal, that I think a lot of people miss. Utility is key to censorship resistance. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't get. I, I think over the last year, um, especially with whatever's happening in the regulatory scene in the US, there's has been a lot of concerns around censorship resistance um, particularly around centralized stablecoin issuers like Circle um, and, and USDC, right? Because if regulators can easily shut down a centralized player, it kind of raises questions as to one of the core values of, of having cryptocurrencies or, or decentralized networks, right? And, and I think the response from the crypto community has to be really to kind of resort to technological wizardry as a way to try to find um, solutions that enable us to become more censorship resistant. So for example, I think there was a proposal by MakerDAO, or at least one of the, the proposals was that make, like you should have just purely DeFi focused, like no connections to the real world. And that's how we get censorship resistant. I actually think the solution, this one very powerful solution to censorship resistance is to become so useful in the real world. And some people will say, oh, well, how do you know that'll work out? And my answer is look at traditional finance. Why do you think it's so hard to regulate the banks? Because banks are systemically important. They facilitate loans to businesses, to homeowners. They facilitate payments in the real economy. And that's why it's so hard to regulate them. That's why they become too big to fail because they're actually fundamentally useful in ways that are very difficult for regulators to regulate. And so I think if crypto companies, if blockchain protocols, if applications focus on becoming so useful to the real economy, whether it's facilitating payments like payroll, whether it's facilitating cross-border trade, whether it's facilitating foreign direct investments and global capital movements, when the, when crypto does these things so well that they become too big to fail, you will effectively have censorship resistance because then it becomes incredibly politically costly to do so. One of the things that Gary Gensler called called out about DeFi today is that I, I think it was in a, in a in a congressional hearing where he said that um, stable coins are just poker chips, right? They're just a way to access the, De- the casinos of DeFi platforms. And he's not wrong. Um, and the government has no problems 
shutting down a casino because, okay, a few gamblers might be unhappy that they can't access those 1,000% APYs, but nobody really cares. Now, if you think about it, nobody actually complains that the US dollar is a poker chip to Wall Street, right? But that's because the US dollar facilitates something like 50% of global trade, right? It's systemically useful. And that's why it's so hard to displace. So I think that if we want to become censorship resistant, one of the best ways to do it is not by kind of retreating into a purely on-chain world, but by becoming so useful in the real world that it becomes impossible to to censor out of existence. That's a very interesting perspective, and I and I'm sure that like, uh, I'm sure that. Actually, I'm not sure if a lot of people in the space will share this. Um, no. Yeah, because I like when you are in these conversations and everyone in Web3 is kind of talking about just building things that are like purely Web3 native and that are away from the real world. It does make you think like, but we still live in the real world. And yeah, we have to build something that is so is so good that the world becomes dependent on it and that that's the key a hundred percent i mean the the the, a good way of looking at this how this plays out and why i'm so confident of my thesis on on utility as a key to censorship resistance is if you look at the difference between social media companies and global financial services social media companies exist I would say more or less largely in a in, in I guess in an online world, right? You don't really necessarily touch touch things like banking, like financial services, lending, payments. Look at how easy it is for governments to target social media companies and say, if we really don't like you, we'll ban you from your we'll ban you from a country, right? China's one example of that, right? Um, where okay, we don't like what you're doing and maybe you have got a million users in our country, we don't care. We're just going to make you illegal and build alternatives that are basically balkanized and siloed from the real world, right? But China doesn't do that to Goldman Sachs. China doesn't do that to BlackRock, right? Because, again, again, if you focus on becoming so useful to things that everyone has to care about as a matter of like necessity, then you become very, very, very difficult to censor out of existence. So I guess that's the challenge for anyone listening today. It's like, can you build something that is so needed in the real world that will guarantee censorship resistance for the industry? And, 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 and you know what? I think that's actually not too hard to think of, right? Um, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first thing that Satoshi started out with was payments. <laughs> because the ability to move value, the ability to transfer value from person to person across borders, that's kind of like the what undergirds economics, right? That's what undergirds trade and finance um, and ownership of assets. So I think if we just focus more on these things, other things will kind of naturally follow. Um, and, and, and again, just think about what would be the most devastating if it became illegal tomorrow, right? 
I guess communications is one thing. Okay, well, yeah, if you shut down things like WhatsApp or Telegram tomorrow, oof, it's going to be a, a huge inconvenience to say the least, right? But think about what would happen if you just lost access to your bank, your banking apps tomorrow. It's devastating. That's catastrophic. Yeah, that, that, that's like, that's fatal. It's not even devastating, it's fatal. Um, and, and so that's kind of how you, I would think about what are the most important use cases um, to, to target or to start with. If you're a company that's trying, especially for the larger companies, if you're trying to achieve censorship resistance, you should be thinking about those use cases. Yeah, it's building, it's building the, the needs of the world and not like just the wants. Because even with your like social media example, like you don't, we don't need social media to survive. It's just a nice thing that we have. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We we need we need like yeah. money That's and right. payments. Or I mean, think think about I guess put yourself in the shoes of a regulator, right? And one of the reasons one of the reasons why regulators keep pulling the the trigger to step in and rescue banks is because that they know if that they could take a gamble and say that, you know what, a bank has been irresponsible with its money or its depositors' money, let's just let a bank fail. That is the responsible and, I guess, the moral thing to do, right? If a company has been gambling with deposits and it loses all its money, it should bear the consequences. Taxpayers shouldn't have bailed them out. You know, they should suffer. Um, But it always comes down to this. If we let a bank go under and depositors lose their deposits, we will have riots on the streets and I will lose the next election. Like, I don't even think I'll make it out alive to the next election, right? And that's why it's so hard to regulate the banks. But ironically, it's because they've earned the right... (laughs) I mean, it sounds horrible, but they've earned their place to becoming so systemically important that it, the, the, the cost to regulate them just becomes enormous, right? I think we have a way to go. Um, we definitely do have a way to go. And I think also a lot of the time we tend to look at uh, Web3 with a very like US-centric view. Um, but there are many regions in the world that are kind of making more strides and want to set like better regulation for the industry. Um, I know that like the UAE is one of them. Europe is is quite good and is inviting people to kind of um, inviting like the bigger players to help shape this regulation so I think you know at this time all is not lost and all we can do is keep building and keep the conversation going absolutely I think it's important for the community to stay focused and not do things like pivot to AI <laughs> <laughs> just because it's the hot new thing, right? Or, or or just keep chasing trends, right? I think it's important for the community to keep their focus, to keep building real solutions, to stay close to the problem, stay close to the customers, and, and just really maintain that that, fo- that level of focus, right? Rather than just chasing the, the next big thing. Yeah, like, and, and on that... It would be very good to kind of go into the story of Request. Um, like, how how did it start and how has Request evolved over time? Yeah, so I think Request began really um, as a decentralized payments protocol, which is the technology that powers Request Finance. 
Um, and so initially, our idea was to build a payments protocol that would allow people to request payments, right? Um, because that didn't exist. Um, and that exists e even in Web2, right? Like, so for example, you can ask people for money in Web2 and they can pay that payment request. And, but that didn't exist back when we were thinking about that problem in 2017. Um, and so we launched the payments protocol. And the idea would be that people would build apps on top of it because to us, it was just so obvious, right? You, everyone needs this. Um, and nobody came. <laughs> everyone was too busy with CryptoKitties and NFTs and DeFi Summer, um, you know, earning those 20% APYs on Anchor. Um, I, and, and so I think we really decided to launch Request Finance primarily because we had a large client who was willing to say it, it was MakerDAO, right? And, and back then they said, okay, you know what? Managing invoices in crypto is a nightmare. It's an administrative nightmare and it's a, it, it's a compliance nightmare. Um, and if you build something for us to manage crypto invoices from our contributors easily, we'll use it. Um, and, and that's how we started really and we experimented uh, and then we launched to the public um, and then it it just went well yeah it just took off from there um so maker that was our first one of our first users and then it, ave i believe was the next big user they transacted like 40 million dollars over a few months um and then this yeah a whole bunch of other people came like the sandbox the central land um, and a lot of other smaller projects that were globally dis globally distributed teams that were doing business globally, or they had they were trying to pay people around the world in different countries, um, and and they saw the value of having something like us, right? Especially for companies that have to do, I guess, like financial reporting for two reasons. Like one is to know where your money is going as a, as a company, and also. So there's the element of fiscal responsibility internally, but also, of course, if you have to pay taxes and things like that, um, it's almost impossible to do with a tool without a tool like Request Finance. Yeah, I feel like the the Web three space is kind of split a little bit. Like you do have like all of the DJs and people that are just you know, uh, FOMOing into tokens, and then you have the the flip side, which is like very serious projects that are trying, that are really trying to basically redefine the digital world as we see it and yes. over time I guess to be honest I think people will always be like degening on the side you know oh, even when you look at the actual internet people are always doing yeah. crazy things yeah but I think that the the like you said like the reliance on on companies like request will just continue to grow like very organically because the upside is so great Oh yeah, like you, you know. I think I think here's the other thing I want to say. I, I know I've talked a lot about how we need to focus on real world use cases, and like that's the path to censorship resistance by becoming too big to fail. But I think I also want to say that I don't think there's anything wrong with degening, right? <laughs> which which kind of goes back to my earlier point about how nobody complains that the U.S. dollar is a, a merely a poker chip to Wall Street to access Wall Street. But that's also because the U.S. dollar isn't just a poker chip to access Wall Street, right? The U.S. dollar is also used for a ton of other things, right? The U.S. dollar powers one of the most 
powerful and dynamic economies in the in the history of human civilization, right? So it's not. I think degen degens will degen, and it's fine to have them there. Um, but it can't be the only thing that DeFi is good for. People are making the most of the opportunity presented to them right now, um, but also. Degens are like power users of DeFi protocols, and Degens, yeah, and they're also and oh yeah, even though they're like playing, even though you've got the ton of people that are just like playing around with NFTs and things like that, they are they also probably work in the space, um, probably get paid in crypto, and are probably the most knowledgeable like group of yeah, exactly <laughs> of crypto users yeah. in the world. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a great way to get exposure to the space, right? And 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 I think it's a good look. If you didn't have such crazy APYs, I don't think a lot of people would want to come into the space, right? Most people like decided to start looking into crypto because they hear their brother or their brother-in-law made a bunch of money on on trading like monkey PFPs, right? So I I think it's a great like first step in, and I think it's kind of fun also, right? Um, but it has to, I, I guess, your power users have to move beyond just, um, you know, the fun stuff and build serious solutions at the same time. And both of those are not mutually irreconcilable, right? You will always have a space for gaming. You will always have a space for speculative stuff, which I don't think in and of itself is bad. Um, it's just that there has to be some perspective. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Get to Gnosis, and we hope that you have enjoyed your deep dive into the world of blockchain payment protocols, and in particular, request finance. As always, we aim to make complex topics in Web3 more accessible to all listeners, and we hope that we've achieved this today. We encourage you to keep exploring the Gnosis chain ecosystem and all that it has to offer, and look forward to bringing you more exciting content in the future. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. All the links will be in the description. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep building, exploring and getting to know systems.